Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's Budget for Justice Twitter space. Budget for Justice is a series of Twitter spaces that explore the nuances of India's law and justice budgets. My name is Antara Vasudev, and I'm the founder of Civis.Port, a platform that works to enable effective dialogue between governments and citizens on draft laws and policies. And today, I'm masquerading as the host of today's This Budget for Justice Twitter Spaces conversation. Budgets for Justice is a collaborative initiative between Agami, Civic Data Labs, Justice Hub, and Civis. It is a platform that curates open budget data from the government for the law and justice sector to make budgets accessible and comprehensible for citizens. Each one of us can log into justicehub.in and actually take a look at the past few years' budgetary data shared by the government of India. As many of you know, it is budget season in India. And as we gear up for the presentation of the union budget on February 1st, we're here to explore and understand the challenges, key gaps and opportunities in budgeting for law and justice with our friends and collaborators from Artha. A quick reminder that this conversation is being recorded. For the conversation today, I'm very excited to welcome our guest, Thwesha Sippi. Thwesha Sippi is an associate at Artha, where her research focuses on state capacity and equitable access to justice. Through her work, she has interacted with police authorities to help develop actionable research for improving delivery of public services. She has a background in finance, economics, and public policy. Great to have you here, Thwesha. Hi, Antra. It's really great to be here, and thank you for hosting me today. Pleasure is entirely ours. Um, I'd actually like to dive straight into today's uh, discussion. I know Thwesha uh, has a lot of interesting insights to share. And um, to get us started, Thwesha, could you tell us a little bit about your current research at Artha um, and how budgets tie into your work? Sure. Um, so at Artha, we're really trying to build evidence-based policing in India, and we're working with police organizations to improve their capacity to really deliver services that are citizen-friendly, professional, evidence-based, and are focused on more preventive services rather than just reacting to crimes. Um, and so some of the most recent work that we've done has focused on both human resource capacity as well as the tech and information capacity. On the human resource capacity, we've been trying to look at the role that training and intrinsic motivation plays in improving police service delivery at the front lines, as well as at the mid-level. Uh, we're trying to look at how the organizational culture of the police uh, can be more bottom-up, can be more inclusive, gender-inclusive, as well as uh, inclusive for the frontline police workers. So we're trying to see uh, how do communication flows take place, how much of agency and autonomy do those on the front line really have. Um, on the information side, we're trying to look at um, the role that uh, information systems play because police, apart from being a people's issue, is also an information issue. And so we're looking at uh, the crime and criminals tracking network and information system and how as crime is becoming more uh, dynamic and more globally as well as digitally networked, what is the role of information systems in uh, strengthening it? Uh, we're also trying to look at the role of uh, police use of tech, for example, the facial recognition technologies that have been uh, that are coming into play now. And although we recognize the merit in crime prevention, we're also trying to get a balanced perspective on data governance, privacy, and the potential harms to civil liberties that this can engender. So our overall philosophy is that policing 
to be truly democratic has to be both lawful and legitimate and we're trying to navigate the space of helping the police enforce rule of law better as well as ensure equitable justice for everybody um, now in our research budgets play a very fundamental role and this happens at two levels um, at a more macro level i think uh, budgets really tell us whether policing is being viewed as an investment center or is it being viewed more as a cost center and policing, to give our listeners some context, really sets the stage. It's the bedrock of the entire criminal justice system. So right from preventing crimes to if crimes do occur, what is the police's response? What is their investigation? What is the prosecution? How do uh, we rehabilitate both victims and perpetrators in society? Really depends upon whether we have an effective start to the criminal justice system. And this has ripple effects on economic development, on our ease of living, ease of doing business, and just citizens' basic sense of safety and security. So investing in policing is something that's been recognized right from the 1900s and even before that as the most basic obligation of the state and fundamental to the social contract between states and citizens. Um, so it helps us advocate for viewing policing more as an investment center when compared to the cost that crimes and insecurity can really engender. At a more granular level, I think budgets provide us a lot of insight into the capacity deficits that police really have in India. Um, so a lot of our work with police organizations are around uh, training and infrastructure and uh, information system strengthening. So we get to see what is the explanatory power that budgets holds over this. For example, if training capacity isn't being improved, uh, what is it happening uh, like in terms of the allocations that states are receiving uh, towards training and how are they really utilizing these resources? Um, they also provide us information as to how much institutional support do uh, police organizations really have when it comes to schemes? So, for example, the Nirbhaya Fund was um, established in the aftermath of the Nirbhaya incident. And this really shows the power that uh, budgets can have in um, fostering more community-oriented policing. So I think budgets flow across our research agenda um, at a more micro as well as at a macro level. That's really interesting, Kvitsha. I think there are so many themes that I would love to pick up on and actually go deeper on. Um, but as you're saying, I think budgets uh, do set the tone of how we're viewing the law enforcement system in India. So I know that recently you and your colleagues have put together a primer to understand police budgets in India. And as a part of this primer, you'd analyze the expenditures on police over the last few years. What are some of the basics, according to you, that we should understand about police budgeting. Right. Um, so I think before going into some of the insights, I'd like just like to set the stage on some of the structural aspects of police budgets. So policing, despite being a state subject, uh, there is a demand for grants at both the union and at the state level. Um, the union budget is basically focused on the central police forces and some of the training institutes at the central level. Um, and so my colleague Priya, who's also joined in the Twitter space today, she put out a primer last year analyzing the union budgets. And what we found was around 88% of the entire union budget uh, for police was towards 
the establishment and administrative expenditures of the central police forces. So these really include the central armed forces, the central reserve forces, and these forces are responsible for internal security challenges and insurgency uh, uh, challenges as well as border security aspects. And they also do provide some level of support to state police forces. Uh, beyond just establishment expenditures, around uh, three to four percent of the union police budget is towards centrally sponsored schemes. And I'll cover this a little more in detail a bit later because the modernization of police forces is a key component of this centrally sponsored schemes. Um, and the balance part of the union police budget around 0.3 to 0.5% is around research, education and training. And that's, uh, it just shows you that it's abysmally low and where the priorities really are at the union level as well. Um, at a state level, um, we did try to analyze state police documents, but what happened was um, these documents were not comparable because of the classification inconsistencies across states. And so we ended up relying a lot on the state accounts that were published by the CAG um, across years. So we collected data from 2007 to 2018. Um, we tried to look at what are the revenue expenditures of the state police forces, what are the capital outlays, um, and what are the trends uh, over the past, uh, over these 10 years? Uh, what stood out to us um, across states uh, and on average across the years was that 90 to 95% of the total state police expenditure was more operative in nature uh, rather than capital expenditures. And capital expenditures and capital outlays only constituted around 4 to 5% of the total state police expenditure. Uh, mm -hmm. Even out of the total operating expenditure, 80% was only towards payroll mm -hmm. and therefore leaving very little to no space for capacity building activities such as training and technology use and information systems building. Um, you know, to give you more context, for instance, uh, the state police uh, expenditures towards training hovers nearly around 1%. In a few states, it does extend to around 2%, but on average, it's around 1, 1.2%. And this is despite the fact that uh, training that is received by the bulk of the police, which is essentially the constabulary who do form 80% of the police bureaucracy, is very low. For instance, in between 2012 and 2017, only 6.4% of the constabulary received any kind of in-service training. And this is an insight from even the status of policing in India report. Uh, therefore, in terms of allocated priorities, uh, very little pie is diverted towards the capacity improvements that policing does need to be truly democratic and to build that paradigm. Um, you know, I have to come back and circle back to the centrally sponsored scheme because it's a very important issue. Uh, so centrally sponsored schemes were um, introduced uh, for, the for the center to really support state police forces. And two schemes are really important out here. One is the modernization of state police forces. And there's also a scheme for uh, special infrastructure in areas which are infested with left-wing extremist activities. Um, now, modernization of state polices has been on the agenda since the 1970s when police reform started uh, garnering attention. But it was really in 2001 uh, that the, this entire scheme was reinvigorated, and it was decided that they will focus on improving the police's efficiency and effectiveness by focusing on their mobility, by focusing on their communications, uh, as well as weaponry infrastructure and training infrastructure. 
So what was decided was that the center and states would equally contribute to uh, the modernization schemes. But because of state deficits in funding, the states were not able to match up their shares to the modernization scheme. Over the years, what happened was that the center then increased its contributions to 75%, in some states, 100% even. And now recently, it's back to 60-40. So this is despite the fact that state revenues in a few years were growing, but they were not able to allocate enough of their pie towards investing in police modernization. This is just one end of the spectrum looking at allocations. The more important aspect is ensuring um, how are these funds really utilized and what is the bang for the buck that people are getting for the investments that they're making. Um, and what we see is that uh, modernization funds were underutilized. Initially, there was a good in, uh, utilization rate of 80 to 90%. But over the years, this utilization rate did fall. And this is not to say that initially, because there were no capital investments, you needed to build that infrastructure. And therefore, over the years, the investments have declined. Because we know for a fact, even right now, through our interactions with police practitioners, for instance, the CCTNS system is built on obsolete hardware that needs to be upgraded. So despite the fact that there may have been investments in the earlier years, there needs to be constant upgradation of this infrastructure for policing to be really effective. Um, so, And the reasons for the lack of uh, utilization you know, is not very clear from our analysis of some of the audit reports that the CAD has commissioned. Uh, it came out that uh, there could have been delays in dispersal of funds or that uh, there would be procurement issues in states even having access to the required infrastructure resources. So I think this was an important uh, insight that I want to highlight at this stage. That's uh, really interesting, Preja. I think some of those numbers that you just shared, I wouldn't have imagined that those are the patterns of utilization. In fact, as you were speaking, I was desperately trying to search Twitter spaces for an interesting emoji, but unfortunately, they don't have one yet. Um, but what you just shared was, it was truly fascinating. So I think one of the questions that comes to mind is that if a student or researcher is actually interested in working with budget data, um, analyzing these allocations and expenditures, what would be your advice to them? Where should they start? What other sources should they be looking at beside uh, perhaps the CAG documents or the union and state budget documents? Right. I think that's a very interesting question because we know that we need a lot more research in this uh, area. Um, I think my advice in dealing and navigating with these uh, budget documents has been that if, if the researcher knows what aspect they're looking at, for instance, if they want to uh, understand allocations towards women's safety, they should uh, make a list of the relevant schemes as well as understand first the schema of budget documents. Uh, like budget documents can be um, at a major head and a minor head level. Uh, minor heads are essentially sub-components of the major head. And you need to, in order to do a comparative analysis across states, ensure that there is uniformity in classification across these heads. So um, you will also find that allocations towards women's safety may not just be in a particular head under the police budget, but you may also find something in the budget for Ministry of Women and Child Development. So really being open to uh, engaging with these documents overall to see where these schemes are coming into play will be important and also understanding what is the unit of analysis uh, that will allow you to do any kind of comparison or any analytics across states uh, will be important. Um, I think the sources, um, 
you know the explorer that you all have put together is a great starting point according to me because uh, for anybody who is not initiated it will give them a good overview of uh, the various budget heads and i know it's only going to develop incrementally and get more granular um i think besides that um, uh, like you mentioned the cag reports were really useful for our analysis especially for state police accounts because state budget documents did not allow us to do any kind of comparative analysis um uh, besides that a few states like maharashtra uh, do they have a mahakosh system and under that they have a budgetary budget estimation and monitoring system that is publicly accessible so you will have granular information on police revenue expenditure and components within that and in some cases you will also have those line items actually linked to the authorizing document for that expenditure so it is a great example of um, how transparent budgetary processes can be um and besides that i think independent reports commissioned and undertaken by organizations like artha prs the status of policing in india report the india justice report are also uh, useful sources in my opinion thanks swisha and um i think one of the things that you did mention that but when it comes to working with budgets comparative analysis between states gets to be quite challenging um but aside from that what were some of the other challenges that you face of working with budgets and budget data right i i think uh, the major challenge you already mentioned and i've already spent some time speaking on is comparative analysis and that would be one of my recommendations going forward as well to ensure that there is uniformity in this uh but be- besides that uh, a basic hygiene factor was that uh, when we were collecting information from the cag reports across 10 years um some of these reports were published in a non machine readable format what was happening was uh, just images of the accounts were published onto those pages and so in many cases we had to manually type in the uh, amounts and that really impeded the effectiveness of analysis and also led to delays in analysis as well so that was one major challenge um apart from that there is limited information on the utilization of these funds of course one can go back and look at the actual expenditures and compare them with what was budgeted and then revised uh but this does lead to a delay in the overall analysis and we also don't know what the funds are linked to in terms of tangible outputs and outcomes so um if there is some explanatory note that is given in the accounts that would be really helpful even to understand if say in a capital budgeted item what is the work in progress currently uh, where is the funds uh, where are the funds really stuck at were there any delays in procurement or uh, a dispersal of funds uh, information like that was not really accessible to us and therefore we had to rely a lot on conversations with police practitioners to understand what was happening so this was another challenge that we faced Thanks, Vishal. No, that makes complete sense. And I think um, one of the other, one of the reasons why I like asking this question um, is that I hope for some of us in the audience who are uh, working in this space and can actually action some of this, the feedback that we are getting and channel it, uh, channel it usefully. It would lead to a lot of new collaborations coming out and a lot of new spaces like Justice Hub um, that actually dedicate. the resources towards understanding budgets because it is a very crucial part of our democracy um i think uh, we don't have a lot more time to isha but i think one of the 
the questions that I'd like to leave uh, leave you with, and and uh, and I'm sure everybody here is quite interested in understanding, is what would be some of your suggestions and recommendations to improve the capacity of policing in India? We touched upon a lot of the areas where there are uh, large gaps. However, having spent some time with this data and spent some time in this space, if you could perhaps share with us your top three or top five priorities that you think um, would be would be most relevant to us today. Got it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you were saying earlier about the need for collaborative research in this space. And I think all of you all are doing a really good job with the spaces and these conversation series are really insightful for us as well as researchers. So thank you for that. Um, on your recommendations part, I think um, I, I, I thought through this in two lenses because we're talking about budgets. The first recommendations would be around budgeting process itself. Um, currently, the budgeting process is more allocative rather than outcome-based. I think there needs to be a lot more thought given into having ground-up consultative processes um, that are, again, link uh, funds to outcomes. For instance, in the UK, uh, the you know, dispersal of funds to police stations is done in a ground reality informed manner. It's more formula based. So uh, they take into account besides just the population density and an area that a police station is covering. They also try to look at the crime patterns in that area. They look at the socio-demographic features of the households there. For instance, if there are any elderly populations who would be more vulnerable to crime, or if there are any bars and restaurants that are particularly located on a, on a pin code, uh, those, uh, how, those police stations would receive more resources just so that they can then allocate both their human resources and other resources given the scarcity of police resources in general. So having a more ground-up based budgeting process um, is something that uh, is top on my recommendations besides the hygiene factors in classifications, consistency, as well as um, information on utilization and more explanatory notes. Um, this on, is you know, on the second part, I think uh, how we can improve capacity is also a question of how we can improve the allocative optimality of police budgets. So like I mentioned earlier, around 80% of operating expenditures are only spent on payroll and training receives only 1% of the share, despite the fact that only 6% receive continuous training in policing. So definitely high up on the agenda is training the police, particularly the front lines, because they form the bulk of the police organization and they are a critical link between building trust with the community as well as being able to prevent crimes from taking place. So really investing in building their agency capacity and capability by building skill sets in conflict management, behavior science, interpersonal skills, legal literacy. Uh, the training agenda should focus on that as well as focus on being more case study and tactical oriented um, rather than just being focusing on physical drills. Um, besides training, I think um, on the infrastructure side, there is enough that has already been said on uh, basic infrastructure for weapons and vehicles. But one thing I want to highlight is um, making infrastructure more gender inclusive, uh, because the police institution um, has around 0.2 million um, women police personnel currently. Uh, we do know that crimes against women are continuously increasing, and also women's access to justice remains uh, a like remains low uh, due to several factors. 
and therefore having women police within the organization is important. So focusing on uh, having separate washroom and accommodation facilities for them, ensuring that their uh, the body gear is more ergonomic and gender inclusive will also be helpful. Besides, again, training them to assert their agency and build their leadership capacity. Um, Another aspect that I want to touch upon is, of course, information systems, because crime is increasingly becoming more transnational, um, as well as criminal networks are more professional, uh, they're digitally syndicated, and so having strong and robust information sharing systems is very important for preventing crimes from taking place. Um, and the last aspect that I want to touch upon is research. Currently, I think um, evidence-based policing in India still needs to be built properly. Uh, while there are a few organizations that are, do doing, that are doing work, there's a lot of scope for doing more. Police themselves, because of their stretch capacity, do not have time to document the efforts that they uh, do put in. So collaborating with researchers and organizations to really analyze crime patterns, to inform their response strategies and document initiatives um, would be really good to... Uh, build capacity overall for the police and avoid duplication of efforts overall. Thank you, Rukesha. That's a wish list that I hope we'll be close to accomplishing sometime in the near future. <laughs> Um, yeah. But uh, I think that's all we have time for today. I just wanted to thank you so much, Thresha, for joining us. This uh, conversation has been truly insightful. Um, I know that our work, unfortunately, doesn't go too close to law enforcement uh, given the nature of the, the participatory work that we do. However, this conversation has been really in, a very interesting learning experience for me as well. And it's been great to hear your perspective. Thank you, Ankhja. I just want to thank Agami, Civis, and uh, Civic Data Lab for all the work that you all are doing in this space. I think just bringing in all the notes from the criminal justice system, because it, it, is, it isn't given as much light. And I think there's a lot more research and work to be done in building this space. So thank you so much for doing what you all do. Thank you, Tresha. Um, before we close the space for today, I just want to remind everyone that we are doing a series of such similar spaces every Thursday from 5 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Um, our next space is with Gail Andrew, uh, who works at Project 39A. And with Gail, we'll be decoding legal aid budgets in India, another really interesting topic. So I do hope some of you will join us. Thank you.